Would you pray with me? Well, Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our salvation. We are not our own salvation. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word to have it proclaimed, preached, announced, heralded, um, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and that you would do to our hearts what you have accomplished or what you had intended to accomplish when you spoke these words. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 46. We continue our walk through, our stroll through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 46 is where we'll be. We'll, we'll do the whole chapter today. And, I'm, and before we get started with the sermon, let's read the whole chapter in its entirety. Let's just read Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. This is the word of the Lord. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but they themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You are who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god and they fall down and worship. They lift it on their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient, th- ancient times the things not yet done. Saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Thus far, God's word. If you ever watched the Olympics, something that is a sport is weightlifting. Obviously, I'm not a weightlifter. Uh, but I don't know if you've seen, uh, you don't have to watch the Olympics, you can see these, uh, these uh, videos are online for you to see if you desire to see it, but if you do desire to see it, that's probably, there's probably something wrong with you. Yeah, it's these people weightlifting, and they carry a weight that, that is so strong, and their body cannot contain it, and then an arm snaps, or a leg snaps, sorry to put that image in your head. Or maybe you have seen somebody put a burden on an animal 
that is unfair for them to put on that animal. Maybe you've seen a teenager ride a dog, and that poor dog loves, loves that, loves his owner so much, and yet is struggling and about to break underneath the weight. This is the picture you get here in this passage. The context, of course, is this. This is before all this happened. This is the point, actually, that this, this is called many, many years, centuries before it actually happens. But Israel will be taken into captivity by the empire Babylon. They're going to be taken into captivity away from their land, away from Jerusalem. They're going to be taken in chains, in captivity to the land of Babylon. And they will be there for many, 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 many years. They're going to be there so long that they're going to, and they're instructed to do this, to plant fields, to raise up children, to marry their children to other adult children. They're going to raise families. They're going to plant vineyards. They're going to live there for many years. And so they're going to be in Babylon. But the Lord then predicts, prophesies the end of Babylon. Babylon is going to fall. Babylon, as we heard in the previous chapter, is going to fall at the hands of a man named Cyrus. Cyrus is going to bring Babylon to her knees. The Lord is prophesying that this is going to happen. Now, now you're going to be, this is Isaiah talking far in the past, talking to people far into the future. Now, you can imagine these people, they're in the land of Babylon. Maybe they've gotten established. It's not their land. They're not citizens there. They're, their citizenship is in a land that's been destroyed, a city that doesn't exist anymore, the city of Jerusalem. But they're there, and they've planted their fields, and they've worked their vineyards. They've established a life for themselves. They've got some stability. They don't love Babylon, but it gives them a measure of stability. They can eat they can drink, they can marry, they can raise kids, they can have grandkids. There is peace because of Babylon. And then to this, you can imagine these people hear of this man Cyrus. This man Cyrus is coming. He's coming to destroy Babylon. We live in Babylon. He's going to destroy everything. The whole world is going to be unsettled. We do not like this plan. They maybe start to have some affection for Babylon. They kind of like Babylon, and they don't really want Babylon to fall. So they would perhaps be tempted to trust and even maybe root for the gods of Babylon as opposed to the Lord their God. But Babylon will not be able to be saved by its gods. But the God of Jerusalem is the maker of the whole world, and he carries his people. So we have these opening verses. We're going to find our first point here in the first two verses. Hopefully you can see this with me. The first two verses, we'll, we'll call this point, your idols are burdens which cannot save. Your idols are burdens which cannot save. Let's see this in the first two verses. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but they themselves go into captivity. So you have Bell and Nebo. This isn't Bell from Beauty and the Beast Bell. It's not B E L L E. 
This is B-E-L, Bel, also named Marduk. And this was the patron city god of the city of Babylon. And also Nebo. Nebo is his son. Nebo is the son. He is the, the patron god of a nearby city. And so Bel and Nebo, the top two gods of the Babylonian pantheon of gods, the top two gods, and they represent essentially all of them. And so you have this picture, and actually the tense, the verb tense in which it is given, it's kind of like a play-by-play, a play-by-play, like an announcer of a, a sports event. So you can, you can picture maybe Dick Irvin, you can hear him say, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts, of this, this, this play-by-play as it's happening. Now, what happened when Babylon was attacked by Assyria, this is actually before it fell, Babylon was successful originally, but when Babylon was threatened in the year 700, 703, what happened is, in order to protect their gods, they loaded them on a cart and evacuated them from the city just to make sure they protect the gods. And so they're They're on these ox carts, and they're removed from the city to make sure that if the city falls, well, at least our gods will be fine. And of course, that is the silliest thing you could think of. Who's supposed to be protecting that city? And this, Isaiah is saying, is a picture of what will happen when when Babylon eventually does fall many, many years later. Bell and... Nebo aren't going to be taken, evacuated for their protection, but this time, when the city falls, Bel and Nebo are basically going to be taken captive by whoever takes captive Babylon. As loot, they are captured against their will. We are born to worship and will never not be doing so. Never not worshiping, never not worshiping. We are born to worship and we are never not worshiping. We will worship, maybe we won't call it a God, but we will worship something that promises to save us, that promises to give us life, that promises to give us meaning in life that promises to give us purpose. Whatever the goal of our life, the thing is that we worship to accomplish that particular goal. And since the fall into sin, the Bible is very clear and history bears this out, we will always be worshiping the creature rather than the creator. We were created to worship God and yet we find ourselves worshiping anything but God, anything other than God. God. These gods are all things that depend on us. They promise to lift us, to carry us, and yet the foolish thing is that they themselves actually depend on us. These things promise freedom. They promise joy. They promise you the fulfillment of all of your desires. But essentially, these things enslave us And they have huge appetites that are never filled, never fulfilled until they destroy us or maybe they themselves are destroyed. See the animals pictured here? 
The animals having a good time in this little example, this illustration? Are the animals having a good time? No. Burdens on weary beasts. This is what's happening. The world is carrying all kinds of idols the whole time saying, we're doing well, we're having a good time. You should also worship this idol. You should also do this. It's great. All the while, they're looking like dead oxes laying flat on the ground, legs out and the tongue sticking out by, between their, their teeth. No, this is great. Everything's fine. This God is the one you should worship. This is not wise, the Bible is saying. These are gods. These are false gods that add to the requirements that God made on us when he made us. So we read in 1 John 5 that God's commands are not burdensome. These are commands that adhere with life and human flourishing. And yet always we tend to worship, worship, worship anything but God. Now you might say, I do not have a Bell or Nebo statue in my living room. And I would say, congratulations, that would be a problem. But this is not the only way that we can practice idolatry. Idolatry is when we put anything in the position that only God is able to fulfill. We have idols in our lives as well. Money can be an idol. See, money is a good gift from God, and it can be used as part of the life that God has designed for His glory, a good life where you worship God and you use money to worship God and enjoy God. But when you put your hope in your money, when you put your hope in your investments or your ability to make money, your ability to invest money, your ability to prepare for the future using money or a job or career, what ends up happening is that that you think that this is carrying you, but in fact, what are you doing? You are carrying that burden. You are responsible for your fulfillment in life, your joy, and essentially your reason for living. Sex is another one of these, a very common one, not just in our culture, but a perennial idol. Pleasure. I need to have pleasure it's going to fulfill me. And look, you'll see this in all of the advertisements, in every single movie, in just about every single t television show. Every single social media star is, is pushing these things. If you do this, if only you just had more sex, or if you had better sex, or if you had sex with the person, the kind of person that you want, on and on and on, if you did this, you would be fulfilled, and you see where this takes a person. This is not something that can carry you, friends. This is a burden that you are carrying and is crushing and killing and destroying individuals, families, and societies. All of this makes us look like that dead ox, legs splayed out on the ground, tongue between the teeth and saying, it's all good, fine, we're good. Rest is one of these things as well. Rest is a good gift from God. But it very easily turns into an idol where you rearrange your life to get more rest. And it becomes sloth or laziness. And then it's, I need to have more. And that sloth is then a burden to you. It's crushing you. It's killing you. It's sucking the life out of you. You can't pay your bills. You can't have proper relationships. You can't do things because you're so addicted to this burden that you are carrying. 
Keeping up with the current empire or culture is another one of these things. They will shout to you, it's the best. Here's where we're going. We're going to take history in this direction. Come along with us. Come along with us. The idea of progressive uh, policies and we need to move in the future and reject everything from the past. It's the best. We're getting rid of burdens. And all they do is add more and more and more and more burdens. Canceling people who they said you were doing well five minutes ago. Anyone other than the Lord God puts burdens on you while telling you that they are carrying you. This is for religion or anti-religion. This is religion or even anti-religion. The same thing is true. I want to be a good person. I want my life to count. I want others to think I'm a good person. I want myself to think I'm a good person. You are carrying the burden for your life, and it is foolish. And all the while you are doing this, there is somebody giving you breath and sustaining every bit of your life. In Colossians, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ, not only did he create everything, but he holds them all together. He upholds us. In the end, though, every single God, whether religious or irreligious, whether it is Allah or it is the sexual revolution, every single one will in the end be destroyed and destroy every single person who was carrying them, who thought they were being carried by them. This happened to Bel and Nebo. Your neighbors don't have statues of Bel and Nebo in their house. Because Bel and Nebo were, were made fools of. And so the people who promised that they would deliver. Babylon and its gods fell. Dear friends, our Western culture... Our city, the people that you are currently putting your trust in or jealous of will fall along with their gods. The only kingdom that will not fall is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is being carried by him rather than somehow people carrying that kingdom. So dear people, let us turn from idols doesn't end there, thankfully. <laughs> Number two, our second point is the Lord is a burden-bearing Savior. A burden-bearing Savior. Let's see this in verses three and four. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel, whom have been born, not B-O-R-N, but born, carried, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Thus far, God's word. God is not a burden which the people carry. He has always saved by grace through faith. Grace means a gift you didn't earn, a weight you didn't carry. Every single person whom the Lord has ever saved from the beginning of the Bible until this moment has been saved by grace. Grace is a gift you didn't earn, a burden you didn't carry. 
even the Lord, he had a temple, but the temple was not some place that you could earn God's favor. It was a gift from God to enjoy his favor. The God of Israel, we're, we hear here, is the God who carries his people. They did not carry him. They didn't even carry themselves. And they were never to worship God as an idol. They were never to form an idol that they could carry around. Now the Lord did have an ark, the ark of the covenant. It wasn't an idol. It wasn't a picture of God. It was a symbolic throne. It symbolized the presence of God. But even in the land, when, when the people were moving around with the ark a lot, isn't it wonderful that before the priests got up to carry the ark on their shoulders, there was no sense that God was in that ark? Where was God when the people of Israel moved through the wilderness? Where was he? Was he underneath them? Was he in the box that they were carrying? Where was he? He's in front of them leading them. And even if you read the book of Exodus as the people of Israel moved away from Egypt into the promised land, he carried them. 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 How did he carry them? How did the Lord show he was carrying them? They were not carrying him. How did he do that? He provided them manna in the wilderness. He provided them bread, miraculous bread, every single day, except on the Sabbath. Every single day, He provided food for them. He carried them. He provided them water, miraculous water. When they had no water to drink, He provided them water. He provided them protection. He provided them protection from their enemies. When they faced enemies in the wilderness, the Lord went before them and he protected them in battle. The Lord carried Israel in the wilderness for 40 years was proof of this. I carry you. You don't carry me. The church, Old Testament and New Testament church, has always been a people carried by God. Never, 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 never did they enjoy God's promises based on their ability to be God's people. Never. Always it was by grace. They received promises from God, promises to forgive their sins, Promises to care for them and protect them and lead them and guide them and carry them forever. And these were promises they never deserved or proved themselves worthy of. Many people didn't believe those promises and they therefore were not God's people. But any of them that believed those promises, that rested in those promises, were God's people and he carried them and he carried them and he carried them every single moment when the Lord made a covenant with Abraham the forefather of the people of Israel he had him set up a covenant ceremony that talked about the responsibilities and in this ceremony the person who was supposed to take the punishment if the covenant was broken was supposed to walk through a bunch of dead carcasses, animals that had been killed and say, basically saying if this covenant's ever broken let this happen to me who walked through those dead carcasses to say, if this covenant is ever broken, let these things, let me be killed? Who was it? Was it Abraham? It was not. It 
was the Lord. Dear friends, dear friends, the gospel is not a type of religion. It's not one with the other religions. You are not permitted to just talk about Christianity as if it was just another religion and you just use different names. If you are counting, hear me. So many people have gone to this church for so many years and have missed this. Please let this be the day you hear this if you've never heard it before. If you are counting on God to save you, because you carried your end of the bargain, you will go to hell. If you, I'll say it again. If you are counting on God to save you, if you are counting on going to heaven because you carried your end of the bargain, you will go to hell. But if you are counting on God to save you because Christ came to bear your burden, to bear your end of the bargain, then you will go to heaven. You will be forgiven and you are God's children. If you are counting on God to care for you because you are good, you will go to hell. Because what you've done is just taken another religion and just added the name of Jesus to it. It's inappropriate. It's blasphemous. The Christian religion is one where God carries you, where God took on flesh. He became a human, and all the burdens, all the responsibilities that were ours keep the law of God. He kept it in our place. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed the law of God for 30 years, 33 years. He did it perfectly, and he did it as our servant. He did it for us in our place. He carried that burden. And he gives us his record. And on the cross, he takes the burden of our record, the burden of our guilt, the burden of our sin, and he is punished for it. Here we are pictured as two different kinds of people. Two different kinds of people. So we've got unborn children and old people with gray hair. In the middle you tend to have a lot of confidence that I'm pretty good at carrying. So you, you're, you're likely to hear, it's often these, these young college students who, who hear this, these promises of the culture, do this, we can do this. We can carry this burden. In fact, this will carry you. And you're such fools to think, we are such fools to think we can do this. We can either earn our place with God or carry the weight of our lives and human future. But on either end, you have pretty helpless people. There's, many, there's not many things more helpless than an unborn baby. Or a newborn baby needing to be carried every single place it goes. Unless you think, oh no, we've, we've, we've gone beyond that. I'm not a baby anymore. I'm an adult. I'm not a baby anymore. It's coming again. You will soon be an old person. If God gives you that much life, you will soon be an old person. 
who is just about as helpless as a newborn baby. Dear friends, this is just a picture of how dependent you are on God even when you do not realize it. There's never a time, there is never a time when you do not depend on God for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your standing, and for your life. This is true of the church of the Old Testament in the New Testament, but it's also true for individuals in the church. You need a God who carries you and with whom your current and future weakness doesn't interfere with your salvation. Every other religion, your weakness will get in the way of your salvation. In fact, it'll make it impossible. Not so with the gospel. In fact, with the gospel, weakness is the prerequisite. You recognize, I cannot do this. You repent of thinking, I hope I'll be with God because I'm a good person. You repent of that, and you instead trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's turn to our third point. Hopefully you can see this with me. An idol which you control and provide for cannot answer prayers. Let's look at 46, verse 5 to 7. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it on their shoulders, lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place. It stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from all his trouble. Thus far God's word. So the word liken there is actually meant like family likeness. Is there anybody who's similar? And the point is, no, there is nothing that's similar. God is not just a type of these kinds of gods, just a different one. He's a different kind of thing altogether. You can divide all the religions in the world and they will, have, they will all disagree and they will differ from the gospel on this point. None of them even claim that God himself saves people alone. Every other kind of religion, every other religion, you must earn or prove your salvation. Whatever they say salvation is, even this is true of irreligion. Think about our current culture. Is it one that says you will, you will, you will be a, a person who, with a life worth living, a person with honor and glory, regardless of how you act? Not a chance. Eager to cancel people. Eager to destroy people. The gospel alone makes the claim that God himself saves his people, not based on what they have done, but based on what God has done. The other thing is that they have gods that they can control. They can carry their God to this place or that. They can sort of control it a little bit. So you can sort of force their God, they can sort of force their God to do something. They can take their idols, essentially take their idols into battle. And look, the God is there. He has to help them. You're here. I brought you here. I didn't ask if you wanted to go because I just grabbed you because you're a hunk of wood. And I took you into this battle. Now your hand is forced. you got to help me. Do you remember the Israelites tried to treat God like that? Remember they, they tried to take the ark into battle that way? 
right? Eli's sons tried to do this. What happened? Did they win that battle? No, because they weren't actually taking God somewhere. And the ark was captured, and it destroyed the places where it was in Philistia, and it had to be returned. How was it returned? Did people carry it? Was it taken in a motor car? Same way that the, that the people were treating Bel and Nebo. It was taken on a, on a cart with mooing cows. And the point was this. You cannot control God. If it's true, He's carrying you. If it's true that salvation belongs to Him and it's, it's all what He has done and He's the one carrying, you can't take Him anywhere. You can't control him. You can't force his hand. You can't make him do things. Now, there's different ways that we try to do this. We sang, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Self-righteous conservative theology is a way that we reject this theology. Where you say, yes, I'm good because I've kept the law of God. And you actually look at the law of God and you say, this is the standard. And I'm good because I keep it better than other people. I will be saved because I'm a good Christian. Those people will be damned because they're bad liberals. I will be saved because I'm a good Christian. They will be damned because they're bad liberals. If that is your confidence for salvation, where do you go? Hell. Because you feel like you have forced God's hand. I made God save me by the things that I have done. Charismatic theology as well does this, where you can force God to do something based on the amount of faith that you have. You can force him to keep promises he never made. If you just have enough faith or enough zeal Remember that line that we sang in the song, could my zeal no respite know? What is he saying? What is the song? What do we say when we were singing that? If I, could not, if, if I could be the most passionate and never stop being really passionate, I couldn't save myself. You do not get saved by passion. You don't get saved by the strength of your faith. You cannot control God. You receive this simply by humbly trusting in the Lord God. You can't control God. And this might be frustrating because we'd like to control God. But the point that Isaiah makes here is, as much as we want a God that we can control, it will be worse to have one because if you have a God you can control, he can't save you because you're in control of him. And this plays out in many, many different ways. But if you have a God that you control, He can't answer your prayers. He cannot save you. Let's continue on. Our fourth point is this. Look at history to see that the Lord is alone God. Let's see this in verses 8 to 11. We're going to take two points from this section, two quick points. The first point from this little section is look at history to see the Lord is alone God. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken 
and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Thus far. An idol seems wise and strong. An idol seems wise and strong if all you have is the last 10 minutes. But you're supposed to pull back the lens of time. God says, pull back the lens of time. And then you will see that it is a burden that you are carrying rather than something that can carry you up. Whatever this revolution is that we're experiencing right now, for some people it seems godlike. It's the thing we've got to put our hope in. If we just do it, it'll carry us. Sure, it might seem successful and God-ish. If all you have is the last 10 minutes, but pull back, have a broader view of history, and you will see that there is no answer, positive answer to these questions. Where was this idol, this man, this money? This ideology, this social movement, where was it 6,000 years ago? It didn't exist. Will it not also die and be shamed and disappoint every single person who put their hope in it? Will it not also end with everybody who trusted in it crushed like oxen, splayed out legs? Will it? Yes, it will. This worldview is new. It will die like every other worldview. It will also be proven false and be canceled or ignored. This was true of Harvey Weinstein's Hollywood. It's true of Bell and Nebo. It was true of the KKK in the South. It will be true of, the, of Planned Parenthood, and it will be true of the LGBTQ revolution. It will be. Look at it. They didn't exist. <laughs> there was a time when they didn't exist, and there will certainly be a time where they are shamed. And therefore, the flip side is also true. Trusting in the Lord might seem foolish until you pull back the lens of time. He says, remember the former things of old. He's not necessarily saying, remember when you first became a Christian. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, remember the things I said in the Bible a long time ago, thousands of years ago, and then remember how they came true in history. I said I would rescue my people from Egypt 400 years beforehand, and I did it. I said I would send my people, I would, I would bring them through the land of, uh, through, the, uh, through the wilderness, I would carry them for 40 years, and I did it. I said that they would receive the land of Israel, and I did it. I said they would lose the land of Israel, and it happened. I said they would return to the land of Israel after 70 years. And I did it. And I said I would send my Messiah, who all of Israel would recognize as a miracle worker, and who would die and rise from the dead, and I did it. I said, hundreds of years before the Messiah even came, that he would build a church made of people of all nations, and the church would grow and grow and grow, and it would spread over all nations and gather more and more languages. And I did it. Dear friends, the idols of the world, the idols of your own heart, whether it's pornography or people's opinion of you or money, they seem strong and powerful unless you just pull back the lens a little bit and see, oh, they're not that powerful. They will be destroyed. They will destroy me. But the Lord... The Lord has always promised to carry his people and he has always carried his people.
people. Let's go to our fifth point, which we're going to get also from this, this, little, this, this verse, and specifically verse 11. God's plans are sovereign. His people's are not. Verse 11, let's just read 11 again. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. This is not a plan that God's people would have picked. First of all, he's telling them this before exile. Okay, he's saying, you're going to go to exile at the hands of the Babylonians, and then don't worry that years later the Babylonians will be destroyed and you'll be sent back to Jerusalem. This is not a plan that they would have picked. Right? They're, they're prior to exile. What plan would they have rathered? No exile, please. Okay, so this isn't a plan they would have picked. And the people in exile, their redemption, it would not have included the land that they were part of, not citizens in, but basically residents in, being destroyed by Cyrus. It also was a plan that wasn't immediately glorious because they were not returning to the land of Israel gloriously. They were returning as a remnant. They were not returning to Israel sovereignly as this independent nation with strength. They were returning at the hands of a wicked man, Cyrus. Their patron was a wicked man who did not love the Lord, and they would be perpetually under emperors. From that point on, this is not something, that plan that they would have wanted, but it is the plan of the Lord. Humility now, while I carry you through difficult waters, and joy now, while I carry you through difficult waters, and glory, glory in the future. His plan. He doesn't just know the future. Did you notice? It's not just omniscience. He said it's His plan that He fulfills. God does not only know the future, he is the author of it. Now, you can complain about that, or you can rejoice. The God who carries me keeps his plans for the future. Our last point, our sixth point, is this. Christ's people are his glory because he is their righteousness. 11 and tw- or, sorry, 12 and 13 are how we're going to find this. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I will bring, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. My salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Do you notice he says, my righteousness, God's righteousness? Why are we talking about God's righteousness? We're talking about his people who broken his law. He says, I will bring my righteousness and my salvation. God's not needing to be saved. Why is God saying it's his salvation? This is talking about how God saves his people. He does not help them to keep his law so that at the end of their lives, God will say, you were righteous. No, no. He gives them his righteousness. He credits his righteousness to them as if it was their own. But first he had to get a human righteousness. And how would God... How in the world would God get a human record of righteousness, a perfect record of keeping the law? How would he do that? A record, a human record of righteous living, how could he do that in order to give that record to us? How in the world could he do that? By becoming a human. 
by sending his son to take on human flesh, to obey the word of God, the law of God, the commands of God, to love the Lord with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love his neighbor as himself. This is what it means when the Lord says, he saves us by his righteousness. Not by working in us to do good things. He does do that after he saves us. But to save us by his righteousness means this. He imputes is the technical term, but he grants us, he gives us Christ's record. You will be saved. If you're saved, you will be saved by perfect obedience to the law. Just not your own. Christ's perfect obedience to the law. That's why it's, it says it's his righteousness. You are far from righteousness, God says, even to his people. I will bring my righteousness to you. It is such a good idea to go right now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we are going to read verse 21. For our sake, 2 Corinthians 5.20, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. For our sake, he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. He gave our sin to Christ our record in sin and guilt, and he was punished. And he gives Christ's righteousness to us so that we would be saved. He calls Israel his glory. And Israel is all who have faith in the Lord Jesus' promises to Israel. His covenant people. Been grafted into that tree by faith in the Lord Jesus because he's made a covenant with her and we've already talked about this as a bride the two become one one flesh and as soon as he makes that covenant with her he ties his glory to her salvation and this is true for you if you have faith in the Lord Jesus you will be glorified one day you will receive all kinds of wondrous glory but not a glory you deserve. You will enjoy the glory that Christ deserves for his obedience. But remember, he gives you his record. And so he shares his obedience. He shares his record. He shares his joy and inheritance with us. Who is this message given to? Let's read that. Who is it given to? What does he say? Does he he compliment them? Verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Ooh, that's not a good, that's not a compliment. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Let's go back to verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, oh, wonderful people. Nope. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Why is it good news that he calls us that? Because he's saying this is news for sinners. This is news. This is good news. This is salvation. God is offering to carry people, not the best people, 
Not even the better people. He's, he's offering to carry sinners. Not just people who have good hearts, but sin sometimes. He's saying, I'm going to carry people with, what does he say? Stubborn hearts. Come to Christ. Repent of trusting in your own righteousness. Of trying to carry your burden of God. Carrying your responsibilities in terms of, I'm going to earn my salvation. Repent of that. And believe in the Lord Jesus. That he lived for your obedience. He died for your sins. And he rose from the dead to save and carry everyone who trusts in him. Dear friends, let us keep ourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice. And as you, you are mocking people who worship idols, Lord, we, we know that you're not mocking other people. It's us. We are idolaters at heart. So many ways we turn good gifts that you've given to us into idols that we think will carry us and float us through life and which are burdens which we carry and are crushing us and crush other people. Lord, so many times even we treat you as if you were an idol who we can sort of control and manipulate by our, our passion or obedience or good works. Lord, we are grateful that you are a burden-bearing Savior and that you carry from the womb to gray hairs. Lord, I pray that you would put our confidence in you and that you would keep us from idols, things that promise to carry burdens but only add them crush us, that dishonor you and destroy us. Lord, I pray that you would put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.